Okay, let's look then our, our, our last study in the series of six is return to the task. Return to the task. We all have a task that we started and for some reason dropped along the way and uh, we need to get back to it. Sports teams play best when they play as a unit rather than, as, as a, lo rather than a loose collection of individual players. Uh, we are on page People sitting together, they can probably borrow and share. That's okay. You listen, okay. Thank you. All right. What's true in athletics is more true in the church. God calls our churches to a similar mission sharing the gospel and working to expand his kingdom in the world. Churches experience an incredible unity as they focus on Christ and work together work toward that singular goal of, a f of fulfilling the Great Commission that we have outlined in Matthew 28. The first question then is, where do we look? Where do we like to go to recharge our batteries? Where do we like to go to get charged up? You know when, you, when your car is low on gas, you go to the gas station, right? Where do we go when we need to, a recharging of our spiritual batteries? Huh? Some people go to the Word, yep. Okay. Most people go to the Word. Some people feel, feel as if they need to go to church. Okay, let's look at Bible meets world. Bible meets life. One page, 124. Could we have someone read that, please? Sometimes you just need to get it, don't you? You there's something magical and I'm not talking about one of those vacations where you go on the and stuff, and everything is more worth than relaxation. We've all experienced vacation. They can, where we can, where we home more exhausted than where we left. What you really need is a break from the routine, something that helps you refresh your body and spirit. Something that refocuses your mind and emotions. Doesn't that sound inviting? Here's the good news. Two of the most powerful ways to do that, to regain focus, don't even require leaving camp. Prayer and fasting can be done right where you are, and they can revitalize you and lead you to fix your attention on tasks like that are truly important. In Acts 13, we see these principles at work in the church and I heal. They prayed, they fasted, and God did something incredible in their Okay, so the point is a revitalized church spreads the gospel. That's the point of the whole study. A revitalized church 
spreads the gospel. Um, before we look at the passage, let's consider the setting. The spread of the gospel at Pentecost continued its outward push. Everything eventually sweeping over the Gentiles in Antioch. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the church sent out Barnabas and Saul on the first missionary journey to spread the gospel even further. As they took the good news to the new places, the duo repeatedly met with rejection and sometimes hostility, repeatedly turned, repeatedly returned to the task at hand, even though they were challenged, and they repeatedly found receptive hearers. And so even though they went out, they were challenged, they went out, they spread the gospel, they were challenged, they were, they were physically challenged as well, as well as emotionally challenged. One thing they always did was they returned to the task. In other words, they didn't get, they didn't get discouraged by the opposition and the hostility that they got in spreading the gospel. And that's the challenge that we have in the study today. Regardless of what challenges we have in spreading the gospel or living for Christ or doing whatever we do for the Lord, let us not be discouraged to the point where we abandon the task. But whenever we are challenged, we always return to the task. And Barnabas and Saul is a good example of that. Let's begin by reading the first three verses of Acts 13. Anybody? That was at Antioch. There were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger. Niger. Lucius, the Cyrenian. And Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And so, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Send it out to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work I have called them to do. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Okay. Fasting. A lot of fasting is not really something common amongst us. Well, some people have relegated it as one of those things that we don't do anymore, but it's still as relevant today as, it, as the first day it was done. And a lot of things happen, we don't, we, don't, we don't realize it, but a lot of things happen in this land because there is a, a minority of believers who continue to pray, pray, and, pray and fast. And they, I mean, there's something that you don't talk about, you don't brag about, you don't boast about, you just do it. Okay, and uh, when we look at, uh, you see, we don't know exactly what uh, has happened in our lives for the better, primarily as a result of fasting. We don't know that. Only eternity would be able to reveal that. And I believe some of us are going to be shocked when we get to heaven and God revealed to us what was accomplished as a result of fasting. You know, we talk about all these hurricane seasons that go on by and we didn't get ahead. What do you think was the result of that? There's a group of people in this land who continue to fast and pray. But we don't know. We don't know that. Because they don't, they don't go around bragging about and boasting about it. Oh, that hurricane didn't hit us because I prayed and fast for 30 days or 10 days or 5 days or a week or so, something like that. Okay, but people continue to do it. And it's something that's private and it's something that's personal. Now, we could do it as a group. But it's something that most of the times people do privately. They get before God and they deprive themselves of something that they enjoy. Something that they like. And it doesn't necessarily have to be food. 
It can be a, a hobby. It can be a, a, a something that they like doing. Okay, so we don't have to, uh, fasting doesn't necessarily have to be not eating for a period of time. Okay, it can be taking yourself away from something that you enjoy doing because you're depriving yourself, you're giving up something that you like in order to get God's attention and that's what it is. It's, it's one way of getting God's attention and saying, God, Lord, I'm serious about this. I'm so serious about this that I'm going to stop eating for whatever. I'm going to give up my favorite exercise or my favorite activity or whatever it is. And that gets God's attention. And that's what basically fasting is all about. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples one day, you know, some things come by prayer and fasting. There are some things that, that God will not respond to simply by praying. Now that, that, that verse in, uh, in the Bible said that my people who are called by my name will pray, will fast and pray. That's one of the things that, that gets things done. It gets God moving. Uh, it's been said that prayer is the hand that moves, the, prayer is the, is the instrument that moves the hand of God, but fasting moves it even better. Okay, when we get down to before God and says, Lord, I'm serious. Fasting tells God we're serious. Basically, that's what it's all about. And that's what they did here in this passage. Uh, they set apart. <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever, whatever it is that you like the most, whatever it is you like the most, and like I said, it doesn't have to be food, it's anything that you have a, a, a serious passion for, that you don't think you can live without, that's what you need to, to, to give up. Okay, and, uh, and for these, these men, uh, they so much desired for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to get out. Uh, in, in such an impacting way, they, did that, they decided that fasting and praying was one way to get it done. But like I said, only eternity would reveal uh, what it means, uh, what, what fasting has accomplished in our land. Only eternity, you know we, we, we say we are a special little place and we are unique, but God is doing some things in this land because God always has a remnant. He always has a remnant and that remnant that He has is one that is committed to fasting and praying. Okay, because of the persecution in Jerusalem, believers scattered across the known world, preaching the gospel as they went. And see, that's another reason for persecution. God uses persecution because if everything is nice and cozy, believers are not going to go nowhere. They're just going to stay right there and enjoy the coziness and the comfort zone that they have. But God brings about persecution so that they can get out of those comfort zones those cozy little places. And, and that's what happened here in the book of Acts. The believers scattered across the known world, preaching the gospel as they went. When the Jerusalem church heard about a new congregation in Antioch, they sent Barnabas to check on them. Find out what those folks are doing there. We had to get a new church over there. Go find out what they're doing. And so Barnabas became a leader in the church there, eventually be, uh, and, and, and eventually brought Saul to minister with him. He needed some help. And the community of faith in Antioch became an instrumental, became instrumental in spreading the gospel all over the world. But it began by prayer and fasting. And then notice, uh, Barnabas was among the leaders in the Antioch church. So was, so was Simon, who was called Niger. And uh, Niger means black. And uh, most scholars believe that he was a dark-skinned individual from of African descent. Uh, a third leader was 
Lysias was Lucius, a Cyrenian. And uh, he came from the city of, the, the city of uh, Cyrenaica in northern Africa. Okay, and uh, a close friend of Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, was also a leader in the church. And these are individuals from various types of ethnic backgrounds to give us an idea of who actually was involved. They were not all Caucasian, they were a mixed group of individuals. And Saul was the persecutor of the church who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember that experience? And, uh, and this was the group of multicultural leaders uh, that God was using to prepare the church for a task of reaching the world for Christ. And that's just a little bit of background on who these individuals were. Okay. I don't think so. Because, you know, I said, the thought of it, because when I saw this, you know, uh, we'll know one day. <laughs> we'll know one day. There are people who have differing opinions of. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, let's read the passage on page 126. Could uh, someone volunteer to read those paragraphs, please? Which one? Acts 13, 1 to 3. The, the church at Antioch. The church in Antioch is a great example of believers who loved Jesus and reflected that love in their ministry to people. They gladly shared the gospel with anyone, even Gentiles. After that time, Christianity was considered an extension of Jesus' belief. After all, Jesus himself said, had come to fulfill everything the Jews believed. Therefore, Jews who became Christians naturally went to other Jews to share the gospel. In Antioch, however, believers began to realize the message of Christ benefited all people. They spread that message among the Gentiles, and the Lord's hand was with them. A large number believed turned to the Lord. With that, the church in Antioch called a passion for missions. When we, become, when we come to Acts 13, the Christian in Antioch were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Many, believe, many scholars believe this time of worship, prayer, and fasting was undertaken with a specific goal in mind. The church had a heart for evangelism and missions. But how were they to proceed? What were they supposed to do? Instead of coming up with a plan, they seemed the best to, that seemed best to them. The Christians at Antioch stopped. They prayed and fasted. They fixed their hearts completely on God. And God responded. Then the church is full and undivided. And God when the church's full and undivided attention was on the Lord, the Holy Spirit answered and offered direction. Specifically, the Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. This was critically important 
in the early stages of Christianity. The church had added up and gotten serious before God, and they were about to get serious about the Great Commission. Okay, thank now, you. Uh, I challenge you to challenge us. I, I challenge you to bring a message on fasting and bring it in such a way that the whole church will stand in agreement and say, we want to fast. That's the challenge I put on you. Bring it so simple that we will be here. This, this fast, the way you want that done. Anytime, anytime, the Lord sees you very, very clear that you will bring it in such a way because fasting, you see how much time fasting, engineer, and the goal it can bring. And we need this, so I challenge you to challenge the Sunday school. Well, I will take that challenge. You know it, you need to fast. Okay. All right, that's good. We're gonna we're gonna consider that and pray about it, and see how the Lord leads. But uh, like we said, a lot of things accomplished by prayer and fasting. Now think of what think of what would have happened if they didn't pray and fast. None of this would have happened. The church at Antioch would never have been established. Barnabas and Saul never would have gone because they prayed and fasted, and God responded. And God said, "What? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for I have called them." And so we see how important prayer and fasting is. Okay, and it's something that we can we can engage in. And that little, I mean, I don't know how big the church was. I, I say that little church, but that little church in Antioch, they really, uh, they really took the gospel. I mean, to the, to the ends to of the, the earth. World yeah. That mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where uh, believers were first called Christians. Right. At Antioch. Mm -hmm. And uh, because they were like Christ, it was, I guess, a derogatory term when they first used it. But uh, then it became a, mm -hmm. uh, what do you call it? Uh, not uh, landmark, but uh, something. Yeah, a name of Valor. <laughs> Your yeah, name of Allah. Um, it's like calling them little Jesuses. Uh, and they thought that it was a bad thing to call them little Jesuses, but it turned out, you know, God takes, uh, you know, what, what, what people meant for evil, God turns into good. We saw that in the life of Joseph, and God does it all the time. And so I think Sister Brenda already answered the second question. What can we do intentionally to seek God's guidance? Pray and fast. Not just pray, but fast along with it. And uh, we see what it can accomplish. Uh, but this is another question that can be approached two ways. What, we, what can we do as individuals, and what can we do as a class? So individually we can pray. We can pray and fast. But can we also pray and fast as a class of a particular project, or particular, for a particular... You know, we talk about the crime in our country. We're talking about all kinds of things. But you know, you know, we can pray, we can... We can commit as a class to fast for a particular period of time for a particular item to be accomplished. We can do that as a class, okay? But as individuals, we can also do it. So there's two ways of answering this question. What can we do intentionally to seek God's guidance? We can pray individually, and we can pray as a class or as a group. The church at Antioch experienced a powerful connection with the Holy Spirit, but that didn't prevent them from dealing with opposition. 
Okay? We pray and fast, but that's not going to eliminate people from becoming hostile to what God has called us to do. Because that's a norm for the believer. It's part and parcel of the Christian experience to experience opposition because of what they do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if they persecuted the master, what do you think going to happen to the follower? Okay, so we can't expect that we're going to be get away scot-free when we engage ourselves for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at the other um, paragraphs on page 127. Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas headed first to the island of Cyprus. After going through the whole land, they crossed over to Asia and came to a place known as Antioch in Pisidia. They entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Paul spoke to those gathered there. He preached about the connection between God's work in the Old Testament and his work through Jesus Christ. Many responded positively to the gospel message. And we can see that with that account in Acts chapter 13. No, not everybody was enthusiastic about Paul's preaching. What else is new? However, when just about all the people in the city showed up the next Sabbath day to hear Paul preach about Jesus, some of the Jews were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Sure, we're going to experience that too, if we haven't already. This is a principle. Whenever God is working, we can fully expect Satan to fight against the work, that work. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil, in the heavens, according to Ephesians 6.12. Satan will do everything in his power to stop the church from praying and advancing the gospel. Unfortunately, Satan sometimes succeeds in his efforts. We've all heard of churches undone by disunity, gossip, immorality, and myriad of other sins. Satan prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Churches that fall prey to Satan's attacks don't resist them and stand firm. They cease to be praying churches, centered on the gospel and fixed solely on Christ. Yet when Satan raises his ugly head even today, we must continue to march on. We must not back down from our call to the Great Commission. Paul and Barnabas did not. They didn't soften their messages, their message one bit. If anything, they became even bolder in their approach. We, what an example for us. So we have an example of what it means to stand up for Christ in Paul and Barnabas. We looked at their life, what they did, how they stood up, uh, how they stood up for the Lord. And uh, when the pressure came on, they didn't uh, become uh, afraid. They didn't become politically correct like people do today. Uh, they stood firm. And uh, they're a good example for us to follow uh, whenever we are challenged 
with the message that we proclaim, we need to remember Paul and Barnabas, how they stood for the Lord no matter what. Okay, the next passages we got to read is uh, verses 44 to 47. Uh, so if we can have someone read those verses, please. Okay, for some notice now, historical background here. After the church at Antioch prayed for Barnabas and Paul and sent them out to preach the gospel, the two missionaries began a mission that took them first to Barnabas' home country of Cyprus. From there they traveled north to the region of Asia Minor, ending up in another city named Antioch. Now this Antioch of Pisidia was a different ad from, from the other Antioch. Two different Antiochs. Okay. Uh, Antioch Pisidia was located 100 miles north of the coast and was a Roman colony that served as the governing and military center of the southern region of Galatia. So it was a military town, as we would call it today. And uh, the town was, a, was cosmopolitan for its, its day. In other words, it was kind of up-to-date, modern. It also contained a strong Jewish population that was instrumental in the events of Acts 13. So God sent them to this place where there was a large Jewish population because he knew that something would happen because of the kind of population that they had. And so when we, the challenge is when we go out, we need to remember that wherever we are going, God has already prepared the ground. He's already prepared the ground. So we don't have to think that, you know, boy, I'm going to this place and nobody know me and I don't know what I'm in. And, uh, but God prepares the way. In other words, he always goes before us and prepares the way. So in this town that they went in, had a large, a strong Jewish population. And that population was instrumental in the gospel being spread the way it was in Antioch. And, uh, and so that's the guarantee that we have that God promised to us that he will not leave us nor forsake us. No matter what, that promise stands firm. Okay, wherever you go, he's going to be there. And he's going to be the power behind you. He's going to be the wind in your sails, as it were. And we can count on that. Now, the, on the Sabbath, on the next Sabbath, according to verse 44, on the next Sabbath, a surprise awaited the Jews who gathered together. Almost a whole town had gathered to hear the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. That was a surprise. They didn't expect that. Though Antioch Pisidia had a significant Jewish population, the Gentiles vastly outnumbered them. Okay, now they had, in other words, they had a big Jewish population, but the bigger part of the, the, the population was still Gentiles. As the Jews arrived that day, many Gentiles also crowded the place to hear the message. They were curious. Who these people is? What are they saying? And so you're going to have that. And it's good when you have people show up out of curiosity. Because you have a way of reaching them. 
You have a way of getting the message to them. And we know that God's word never returns to him void. They may come with other intentions. But once the word hits them, a lot of things, different things can happen from what they expected. And so they were outnumbered, but they came anyway. The Jews were outnumbered, but a lot of Gentiles came. And uh, well, a lot of things that they said didn't sit well with the Jews. Because Paul preached the gospel that was inclusive of the Gentiles. Now remember the Gentiles, the Jews felt that they were a select group of people. They were God's chosen people. And so the message didn't go over too well when, God, when, when they started talking about this message is also for Gentiles too. And so some of the Jews were kind of upset about that. But God wanted to save Gentiles as well as Jews. And so the message of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is both for Jews and Gentiles. It's not an exclusive message for one group of people. It's for all. Jesus came and died for all. Amen? Amen. For all. Okay. Let's consider some of the highlights on page 27 that we need to single out here. Some of the key points on page uh, 27. Uh, first, the question, the question number three. What do these verses teach about the process of sharing the gospel? What do verses teach about the process of sharing the gospel? Page 27. Question number three. What do the verses teach about sharing... 127, sorry, yeah, 127. What do the verses teach about the process of sharing the gospel? We need to pray and fast. Okay, it's not just enough to go and share the gospel. We need to prepare to share the gospel and that includes praying and fasting not just pray you know we, we, we pray a lot sometimes and things don't happen and you say well, you know and I've been praying about this and I've been praying about this and nothing happened but don't you think that there's something that needs to be added to that prayer it's fasting okay so have you ever been praying for something for a long time and nothing happened then there's a missing element you need to add to that prayer and that's fasting okay the key high, high, uh, highlights of the key points on page 127 in a town called Antioch, Pisidia, Paul preached about the connection between God's work in the Old Testament and his work through Jesus. Many responded positively to the gospel message. Okay, even though he preached, the way he preached, there was a positive response. That's a highlight point. The other point is, not everybody was enthusiastic about Paul's preaching. Not, the message was positive. But the response wasn't entirely positive. And then the third one is, the, four, the third one is, this is a principle, whenever God is working, we can fully expect Satan to fight against that work. Okay, now don't expect to have no opposition. The fact that you have opposition means that you're doing the right thing. You're on the right track. If Satan doesn't bother you, then you're not bothering him by what you're doing. Okay? If he jumps on your case and walks all over you, then you know you're on the right track. Don't back down. That's where you keep going. Okay? Uh, because Satan, uh, it says that, someone said that uh, there is hemorrhaging in hell when Satan, when, when people, God's people pray. But if that happens, imagine what happens when they fast. If there's hemorrhaging in hell when, when, when God's people pray. I guess all hell breaks loose when people fast. Okay, so look at that element of, of fasting. 
Okay, yet when Satan raises ugly head, this is the fourth point, highlight, when Satan raises ugly head, even today, we must continue to march on. We must not go, we not, must not back down from our call to the Great Commission. Okay, so when, when Satan turns up the heat, it's not a time for us to back down or to turn back. That's the time when you keep going forward with more vigor and enthusiasm. Okay, the final passage we have then is uh, verses 48 uh, to 52, where we see two completely different ways people respond when Paul and Barnabas preach the gospel. Uh, someone read verse 48 to 52, please. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the message of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews excited, incited the prominent women who worshipped God and the leading men of the city. They stirred up the stirred up and persecuted. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and, and expelled them from their script. But they shook the death, they shook the death of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now notice the people in, in Antioch Pisidia responded in two ways to the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. First, when the Gentiles heard the gospel, so that the gospel was for them, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord. Now remember, the Gentiles felt excluded, rejected. Okay, so when they heard that there was something for them, who wouldn't be excited and overjoyed? So they were excited and overjoyed because the message of the Lord was for them. And as they, as they heard the preaching about Jesus' death and resurrection, the people who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Notice, God had singled out some people. God had chosen some people to get saved as a result of the prayer and fasting of the people and going out to share the gospel. And so this verse reflects a remarkable balance between human volition and divine providence. The fact that God appointed some to eternal life is divine providence. God chose that, God determined that some people were going to get saved. Okay, so even though we may go into a situation with a negative attitude, a negative uh, posture, boy, these people are so bad, these people are so wicked, I don't know if they could get saved. You know, some people have that attitude when they go into to reach certain people. Uh, but God has a divine, and divine providence can reach people who we don't imagine could ever get saved. And that's what we see here. These people were appointed by divine providence. God determined who would get saved and who wouldn't. The gospel message spread, verse 49, the gospel message spreads throughout the whole region. Okay? The whole region got the message. Cities surrounding Antioch, Presidia became, began to hear the good news of Jesus and many became curious about this message. You know, there are some people who would, uh, you would go to and you would uh, share the gospel with them and they'll say, boy, I never heard that before. Like that. You know, and you would think in a land that we live in where, you know, so many churches on every corner, you know, the gospel is always uh, preached on the radios and all, and you think that everybody heard. But that's not always the case. There's some people who have never heard the gospel presented in a way where they could understand it to get saved. In the same little land that we live in. 
there are people like that. You know, I went to, to where was it, Cat Island one time and shared the gospel. And the fellow told me he never, and he was 94 years old. And he never heard the gospel shared the way he heard it, that he could ex respond to it and accept Jesus Christ at 94 years of age. So don't count people out. Don't think that everybody heard it. Okay, there's some people who never heard. And this happened in, uh, in Antioch, Pisidia. The message went out the whole region, which was primarily made up of Gentiles. Even though there were Jewish communities existed in the cities as well, they heard the gospel. And this created a lot of tension in the city of Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Tension because of what they heard. Many Gentiles later expressed faith in Christ, while some of the Jews opposed the preaching of the gospel. And there will always be those who oppose it. We could expect that. Okay, question number four. How have you experienced resistance in your attempts to make disciples? How have you experienced resistance? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody and they resisted it, they rejected it, and they called you all kinds of names but the child of God? Anybody remember when that happened? To them? Well, it ain't happened yet, it will happen. <laughs> You get out there and you spread the gospel and you're going to face it. But again, you know, that's what some people are afraid of. And so they won't do it. Okay, there's an exercise here. Um, and we don't have time for it, uh, but uh, this is something you can uh, challenge, be challenged with. In your day. It talks about sparking the spark of persecution. Uh, using the map below, mark an X on different countries or regions where you know Christians are actively persecuted today. Okay, and we, we hear in the news of where this is happening all over the world, and persecution is on the increase. But question number five, what steps can we take to strive for revival in our church and community? Fast and pray. Fast and pray. That's right. Absolutely. Fast and pray. So again, the point then is, a revitalized church spreads the gospel. That's the point that we want to remember. And let's look at live it out. Page 130. How do we live out this lesson today? Okay, pray for the lost every day. That's number one. Share the gospel when you have an opportunity. And there are always uh, opportunities that, uh, you know, whenever I we have a person talk about how hard it is, the first person comes to mind is, boy, hell, it's going to be much harder than this. You know, and that's the door right there to open up, to, to you know, to share the gospel. Pray, uh, pray specifically for someone who needs the message of Christ. Pray for the gospel to advance in your community and around the world. Uh, so that's something we can pray about. We see the crime, how crime is going in our country, and so there's a desperate need to pray for the gospel to advance in our communities. And then share the gospel, as Sister Marguerite said. Spreading the gospel isn't for pastors and preachers. And a lot of people believe that. Actively seek out opportunities to share the good news of Christ. If you're standing in line to pay a bill at a utility place, you have conversations with people. That's a good place to share the gospel. Okay? Or in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we share the gospel, the lives of Christians are 
Right, and the response is, well, if you're going to let a bad Christian cause you to go to hell, then you're not, probably not worth getting saved. Okay, you always need to have a response for that because you cannot, uh, people, you need to remind people that all Christians, we, we are, all Christians get lumped together, but you cannot judge everybody, you can't paint everybody with the same brush. Okay, you may have some Christians out there who are not living the way they should live, but then you could tell that person, listen, you can put that person to shame by becoming a Christian and showing them how to live a life for Christ. Okay, so there's always a positive response, a, retract, a retractive response that we can give. And sometimes, in time past, when people was, when, when Christians got that kind of response, they felt embarrassed and ashamed and shut up. And didn't say anything anymore. But that's how Satan planned it. Okay, he always planned these individuals to, 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 to become hostile and to reject you. But you need to be able to respond in a positive way. Uh, lead uh, your group on a mission. Make plans as a group to proclaim the gospel in a tangible, practical way within your community. Start with prayer and move out from there. And I would say start with prayer and fasting and move out from there. There may be a particular group or area that you think that you need to move into. That can be done as a group. Okay, we've seen that we can accomplish We've seen what we can accomplish in our own lives and in our churches. It's time to see what God can accomplish. And there's no better way to start than through fasting and prayer. So we get a challenge this week to pray and fast about something that you would want God to, you would want to get God's attention on. Okay, you want to get God's attention, so you do that by fasting and praying, and then we see what happens, uh, like the believers did in the book of Acts. Amen?